turn with me to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. What a great place to start. What a great place to start. The book of Acts. When you, uh, when you think about the word convinced, okay, the word convinced. Guys, and I'm sharing what's just been welling up in my heart. Um, when you think about the word convinced, two, uh, two concepts come to mind, okay? And I know there can be many. There's a whole lot that goes around, you know, one word. You look it up in the dictionary and it's one, two, three, four, five. There's so many definitions, okay? The word convinced, the idea of being persuaded in your thoughts. So we have a thought process and we're persuaded and convinced to believe something. And then the second one, which I happen to really like, is the idea of being absolutely settled in your heart. Absolutely settled in your heart. That's convinced. We need to be convinced today. We need to be convinced. I'm in Acts, right? So, um, we'll start in verse number 1. The first account I composed... Uh, Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs. See, Jesus had, Jesus had, I don't know if you want to think about it from a baseball term, he called his shot. He called his shot. Very few men have been able to step up to a plate and point to the left field wall and say, this one's out of here. And Jesus made a ministry of it. He made a ministry of it because he was convinced, right? But the people weren't convinced, I guess, despite all they got to see and all they got to witness. After his resurrection, he, he had to appear with many convincing proofs. So, uh, name a few of them. Uh, some of his appearances. Just throw them out there. Jesus, the nails in his hands to Thomas. Nails in his hands. He appeared to the disciples on many occasions. The, uh, at Sea Drift, we mentioned the, the road to Emmaus. The gardener to Mary. Did he have to do that? But in, in, the, in the unbelief or the struggle to really believe that a man who actually did exactly what he said he would do was alive, he had to, he had to perform many convincing proofs. Many convincing proofs. So thinking about that, it urges my mind to consider how absolutely critical it is that my everyday life is a convinced life. And therefore, it will be a convincing life. A convinced life is a convincing life. Convinced lives. Um, Tell me some forms of persuasion. So even just think, what's some persuasions? Like naturally a guy would think, hammer, crowbar. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to Texas. 
Sweet talk. Look, that's a different twist. Happy Mother's Day, by the way. Happy Mother's Day. Sweet talk. She got me. Sweet talk. A hammer, a crowbar, a gun, a fist, right? Lots of ways we're persuaded. But it's not by force or emotion. They, they persuade for a while, right? But a genuine and lasting persuasion comes from a genuine encounter with the God of the universe. Hey, who in here has had a genuine encounter with the God of the universe that has left you forever different? Hallelujah! I mean, there's something about being blind and all of a sudden being able to see that just makes you convinced. Nobody will be able to talk you out of it. No theology class. No particular doctrine. I'm talking an encounter with the living God that leaves you going forth in your day so convinced that the gates of hell don't even stand a chance against you. That's what a convinced life looks like. It's convincing. People see it in you. That's the whole point, right? But listen to the comparison of being almost convinced. Versus being convinced. See, there's a difference. Uh, so we're almost persuaded. Where are we going? Yes, we are. To Mr. Agrippa. Go to Acts chapter 26. Acts 26. Because it takes an encounter with God to leave you forever changed. It takes an encounter with God to leave you so convinced That He is who He says He is. That He always does what He says He will do. It takes a genuine encounter with God to walk that. That that keeps us in pursuit of righteousness. That keeps us in the pursuit of holiness. That keeps us hungry for souls. And apart from it, we'll just drift. We'll just ride the fence. And I don't want to be a fence rider. Man, if I ever show up here for a visit and I look like a fence rider, don't let me leave. Straighten me out because I'm your brother. Amen. And I don't plan on getting there because I listen online. <laughs> but hold me accountable. That's why I belong to you and you belong to me. Amen. We're brothers. Let's start at 24 just to get a little momentum going. Paul was saying this in his defense. Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Well, great. Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I utter words of sober truth. For the king knows about these matters, and I speak to him also with confidence. So I am persuaded that none of these things escape his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. And King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. And Agrippa replied to Paul, In a short time, you will persuade me to become a Christian. Agrippa's almost persuaded, right? But you know what he needs? An encounter with God. 
Paul's testimony and Paul's life, though, will, is meant to encourage and draw him. It will not save him. Almost persuaded is not enough. Are you almost persuaded in this room today? Because that won't cut it. Whether you're almost persuaded towards salvation or whether you're almost persuaded towards the greatest leap of faith that will be required of your life, almost just ain't enough. Amen. Almost just isn't enough. You want to see the difference, though? Do you want to see what an encounter with the living God does? And, and the thing is, it's available. All you got to do is take a step. The presence of God is available. All you have to do is step. So here's what an encounter does. And remember, Christians, we're, we're not one and done. I need an encounter today. I look forward to one tomorrow. I'm not one and done. We need encounters with God because we need a convincing passion. Uh, so to get that, go to John 9. John chapter 9. You got a man who's born blind from birth. What could be the purpose in that, right? What could be the purpose in a man being born blind from birth? Surely somebody did something wrong, right? Couldn't be, couldn't be, that, couldn't be that God was trying to get glory, right? He's setting the stage for His glory. Setting the stage for His glory. Amen. And so, uh, the, the man's born blind. Here comes Jesus passing by. It's nothing fancy. He spits in the dirt and, 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 wa- and makes the mud, puts it on his, on his eye, says to go wash. Okay? It sounds crazy and a lot of people wouldn't do it. You know? If you was blind, you would do it. Right? You know? And so... He goes and he washes. And something funny happens. When he rinses the mud off, he can see. What do you do about a genuine encounter with the God of the universe? You get set ablaze. And so this man's blind, and now he can see, right? And he's being interrogated like you wouldn't believe. The religious leaders wanting to kick him out. His mom and dad, they won't stand for him. Let's just pick up and read so you don't have to take my word for it. Go to verse 18. The Jews then did not believe it of him that he had been blind and received sight. Till they called the parents of the very one who had received the sight and questioned them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? And his parents answered and said, we know he's our son. We know he was born blind. But how he now sees, we don't know. Who opened his eyes? We do not know. He's of age. Ask him. He'll speak for himself. How you like that for support? Well, maybe they were just being, you know, maybe they really didn't know. Let's have a little grace on them. Not till you read the next sentence. Cowards. They did this because they were afraid of the Jews. They were afraid of the Jews. And so, 
the blind man has to stand. When the opposition comes, a lot of people fall by the side. Not if you'll have a genuine encounter with the God of the universe. We won't fall to the side when we allow the maker of heaven and earth to touch our life. And there is no certain gender, race, or age. There is only the obedient step of a longing heart. Does your heart long for Jesus? Step. Step towards Him. And so, let's go because the blind man has to endure it. And the Jews are still interrogating him. And go to verse 24. A second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And then he answered this. He said, Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. And this is the blind man. This is a convinced man that is about to make a very convincing statement before a whole community that is about to abandon him before parents who have already turned their back on him. You're about to hear a convinced man make a very convincing statement because he's had an encounter with Jesus. Whether he's a sinner, I don't know. Listen how simple this is. I mean, just listen how simple it is. Whether he's a sinner, I don't know. I don't know all your theology I don't know all your, what your denomination believes. I don't know what the religious... I know that I was blind, but now I see. That's an encounter with Jesus. And that leaves you forever changed. See, once you get convinced, your life will be convincing. Hey guys, the man speaking to you needs to be convinced today. I want to go out and just when I think I'm as convinced as convinced could be, a trial will come, right? All of a sudden, maybe I'm not so convinced. That's dead wrong. You've got to stand on the promises because the trials come. Hey, y'all know about trials, but you also know about victory. Right? We know about trials, but we know about victory. Because we know about God's promise, right? That's what we stand on. But to be that convincing, you've got to be convinced. Because in the scope of life, we would say, yep, I'm going to be convinced. But then comes that little moment. You know, the little moments that make up this one big moment that will be inscribed on our tombstone, right? Those little moments that make it up are the ones where we have to be convinced that God is who He says He is. He'll do exactly what He says He will do. And I'm looking at people in here who are just such a breath of fresh air to look at because they just believed. They were convinced that God would do it. And He did it. And man, your lives are convincing. We've gotten text messages and emails that just had us on the couch weeping because y'all are a convincing bunch. But we need to be convinced more so that we can continue to be convincing, right? Am I driving this word home? It's a good word. It's a good word. 
Agrippa was almost persuaded the blind man would not be told otherwise. One had hit a personal encounter with the king of kings. And one just read about it, just heard about it, but hadn't yet stepped. You've got to step. That's what Jesus is looking for, the step. Because when you're convinced, you will look like, what do they call Paul? Out of his mind. Crazy. I know people in that jail think this group is crazy. You can hear each other's music from pods away. Your pastor started preaching and sheetrock dust came from the ceiling. Mike walks to guys in orange suits and says things to them in the Lord that, I mean, it's the boldness and courage of a lion with the gentleness and love of a lamb. That's mighty. That's mighty. You're out of your mind. In a good way. Amen. But, but Paul, go to Romans 8. How does Paul make such statements like this? I read this in Sea Drift. Uh, Romans 8. Uh, verse 35. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. Just as it is written, for your sake we're being put to death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. And then listen to what Paul says. I'm convinced. I am convinced that there is neither life nor death nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other thing that will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? Yes. Are you convinced of that? Yes. Convinced that there is nothing that will separate us. But you know how you get convinced? You want to hear it? Yeah. You let, you let yourself get in situations where you actually have to trust God. When you actually have to get in a situation where you actually have to trust God, holy smokes, it's convincing. See, you'll never be able to tell me again that the Lord can't raise the dead because He resurrected a baby in my wife's belly. But... We had to go through that and let God convince us. So never again. I could theologically talk my way around that kind of stuff years ago. Forget about it. Once you have an encounter with God, you never go back. You can't go back. We can't go back. How could Paul say that? Hey, the man was in places where God had to come through. Man, I, I look out, I'm preaching to the choir. There's faithfulness in this room. Hey, there is faithfulness in this room. There's faithfulness here. And I love it. It changed my life. You look at Paul. He was in, we read this last night too. Forgive me. Matt said bread's good for 24 hours. It's only been 12. <laughs> Go to 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians 
in chapter 11. What, what would prevent? There it is. 2 Corinthians 11. What would provoke a man to be able to shout something like that from the mountaintops? That I am convinced that there is no life, no death, nor principalities. The gates of hell. Nothing can prevail against that. But you've got to be convinced of it. Because you know what? Lawyers are going to come knocking. Whatever. Hey, I know some of the trials. The doctors say that. Whatever, right? The trials will come. And just when we, that's our time to press in. Because that's our chance to be convinced. Amen. That's our chance to be convinced. Amen. And so look at Paul, right? Look at, look at him, 2 Corinthians 11, and I'm, I'm starting here in verse 25. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from, my, uh, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, Dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such, a, apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? Do you hear that? My life thus far, these 30 years, hasn't begun to tote a resume like that. In fact, I haven't been beaten once. I haven't been shipwrecked once. We've got some diseases and parasites and lack of... Hey, we've had it, but it's so small, it's humiliating to mention compared to this list, I'm saying. But Paul was in those situations, the very situations that we make a strong effort not to be in. But it's in those situations, it's in those seasons where you get to be convinced. Because you get to see God come through. I think Jacob said one of the best um, statements I ever heard. And what do you know? Jacob is gone. Right there. He said, he said um, a lot of people want to raise the dead, but they don't want to walk in the graveyard. Hey, that's got a lot of meat to it right there. There is a lot of meat. In that statement. Because we got to be willing to get into it. So that we can be convinced. Amen. Convinced lives and the world takes notice. We're commissioned. We get convinced that God really can do what He says He can do. There's no miracle too great. No mountain too big. No hurdle too high for the King of Kings. It doesn't exist. Never has existed. Never will exist. He is God. 
And we need to allow our present circumstances to allow us to be convinced that we might be convincing. So Mark 16, let's go there. Matthew, Mark, Mark 16. The world would take notice of a convinced life and you have a commission to carry it. So I'm just going to, I'm going to read this about the signs that should accompany our lives. Not talking mere humanitarian effort. I love, I love taking meals to people. I love doing all that loving, brotherly stuff. But then again, there's a lot of organizations that do that. We're distinguished by the power of God. We're distinguished by the presence of God. That's the distinguishing factor. Because while we should do all those things because we love we also are commissioned to heal the sick, raise the dead, yeah. cleanse lepers, on, set captives free. We're commissioned to do that from the book of Mark. The disciples commissioned it. That God commissioned the disciples, go! Go! And be convinced that I will do what I said I will do. I will accomplish what I said I will accomplish. But to get there, guys, we've got to get to know Him. Amen. And you get to know Him, as you all know, in the valley. Yes. In, the, in the nitty-gritty, where it's hard to sleep because you hurt so bad. And it's, and it's hard to pray because you're crying so hard. The place we don't want to be, right? Because it hurts is the very place where you get so passionate and convinced of the power of God that you'll never go back. Amen. We need to know Him. How do we know Him? Well, what is it about the signs and wonders that helps us know Him? Because He wants to convince us that we might be convincing to them. He wants us to know Him that the world might know Him. We was talking about that this morning. How will they know when you know? How will they be convinced? When we're convinced. Amen. When we're so convinced that they think we're crazy, right? Uh, um, go to the book of Exodus. Do y'all like the book of Exodus? I heard Exodus in the prison this morning twice. It's just a good, solid word for the day. It's a good, solid word. And while we're flipping, let me just tell y'all, when, when I was gathered in that room, this just came to my mind from words, the leadership meeting, when I was made the announcement that the church plan was going to happen. Remember, we had a leadership meeting and um, we wrote on a chalkboard. Boy, it would stagger you to see those prophetic words springing forth. The rebels, oh my goodness. My first disciple is a straight-up rebel. Justin, you said the Lord was going to give the rebels to change the nation. A Asians, Cody, it's about all my interactions have been with. And these words that were given to my wife by you ladies and Miss Cho, it's like, it's, it's carried us. It's just carried us. The word of the Lord is mighty. If you've never been touched, don't let me bore you. 
If you've never been touched by the almighty hand of God and stepped towards His glorious salvation, do it. My life's never been the same. But we got to know Him. We got to know Him. We're in Exodus. We're in Exodus. That's the, the Lord delivering His children. What did He send to deliver His children? Moses, and then he brought what? Ten of them. Plagues. Trials. Right? Hey, hey, couldn't God have walked in and knocked on Pharaoh's door and said, Hey, Pharaoh, um, am I saying that right? That sounds a little country. (laughs) That is right. right. Yes. Hey, let him go. It's time. Let's let him go. He could have... He could have had Moses walk him out, right? Could, I mean, no problem. Why is God's ways always so peculiar? Why, why wasn't he born in a palace? What a strange way to save the world, the Christmas song says. Such a strange way to save the world that a king would come in a manger. And so how, how peculiar is this that the Lord wants to deliver His people, and guess what He's performing? Some call it plagues, right? And it, they are. But they're also signs and wonders. Amen. You understand? Yes. They're signs and wonders. Because the sign and the wonder is for one purpose. And that's that you will know Him, and the world will know Him. Whether the sign and wonder is the healing of a baby, or the sign and wonder is the destruction of a land so God could deliver His people. He wants the world to know that He is God. Amen. And so, here's what we got. Where are we at? Exodus, we said? Um, and in verse 5, the labors increase. And verse 6, God is starting His action. And hey, you, we read through this just like a, like a quick little read sometimes. Try to put yourself there, right? You are the apple of God's eye in bondage that's unbelievable. And you hear that Moses is coming and it's, it's time to be delivered. Well, this is going to be easy, right? And you wake up and the Nile is blood. Huh? And it's debated how much they were impacted. God, God preserved and spared His people. That's the core of it. But you wake up and you look and the Nile is blood. Huh? This is peculiar. To say the least, what is the Lord doing? He's building His testimony that His people may know Him so that the world may know Him. So let's just read, a, um, let's just read the verses at what I'm getting at here. In Exodus chapter number 7, um, We'll just start in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, See, I make you as God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you. And your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh that he let the sons of Israel go out of his land. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And why? That I may multiply 
my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. When Pharaoh does not listen to you, then I'll lay my hand on Egypt and I'll bring out my hosts, my people, the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt by great judgments. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. You find it peculiar that God's there to deliver His people? And the one man who could let him go, he hardens his heart? For what purpose? For what reason? Why the trials? Why the plagues? One more verse and I'll have the answer. Although you already know it, but this is just how preachers have to do it, right? Hey, Exodus chapter number 10, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh... I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants that I may perform these signs of mine among them that you may tell in the hearing of your son, of your grandson, how I made a mockery of the Egyptians, how I performed my signs among them that you may know that I am the Lord. Why the trials? Why the plagues? Why the hard way? Why the yearning? God wanted His people to know that He is God. And He wanted them to be so convinced of it that it made it to their sons. And then it made it to their grandsons. And then it made it to their great-grandsons. That's how convinced we need to be that we're not one and done, one generation of Christian and then it's gone. I'm starting something new for my family. Are you starting something new for your family? A generation of people so radically, so radically crazy and desiring of God's presence that were despised by the world. So why, why does God choose it that way? He could make it so easy for us, you know? And the, the reality of it is, he really does. Step. Turn from your unrighteousness towards righteousness and live. So the reality of it is pretty simple, right? But we all have to go through the muck and the grime. Because you need to know. Not just know about. Not just thank you, know this week and it's done the next week. You need to know for good that He is the Lord. That He is God. That He is Jehovah Jireh. And do you know why? Two reasons. He's worthy. Second one, there's a whole mission field out there that needs to know. And if you don't know, they won't know. Right, guys? We need to know that He is the Lord. He hardened Pharaoh's heart because he wanted his people to know. Because we're hard-headed, guys, aren't we? I am. Hands up all around the room. We're hard-headed. Hey, what if he'd have made it easy? What do you think the children of Israel would have uh, done, right? What do you think the children of Israel would have done? God made it easy. Well, let's just look at what they did when He performed absolutely earth-shaking, earth-altering miracles before their sight. Hey, He parted a sea. And He let them walk through three days later for them to whine at a well of bitter water. 
when we don't when we don't have the trials, when we don't have the test, then then we don't get to be convinced and know that He is God. We have to give God a chance to come through. And let me reiterate, I'm so happy to be looking at people who walk that out. And I'm so happy to be looking at people who, like me, need a fresh dose. Because we need to know the way. It's one of the questions of the ages, right? How do we know the way? Who asked Jesus that? Um, let's go there. John 14. You're nice to know the passage, but not the man. John 14. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke. John chapter 14. So you wonder, the people who were closest to Jesus, people who had the opportunity to, to walk with Him. Yeah. People who had the opportunity to walk with Him, watch Him, still would sit down at a table with him and have a conversation like this. Well, how do I know the way? How do I know the way? And how they weren't convinced, I don't know. But man, I would have been one of them. I've seen more than enough miracles in my life to keep me going for the next hundred years. But yet, but yet, I'm sure that something will pop up. And I'll have doubts arise. Kick the doubts out. Amen. Because God is who He says He is. Amen. And He does exactly what He says He will do. Yes. And why? Because, hey, there's the answer. Let's just read it. John 14. John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Hey, just let this soak into your soul. Listen to the words of Jesus this morning. Let this soak into your soul. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go... And prepare a place for you. I will come again. And receive you to myself. That where I am. There. You may be also. And you know the way. Where I'm going. And Thomas says this. Lord. We don't know where you're going. How. Do we know. The way. Question of the ages. How. Do we know the way? And Jesus says this to him. I am the way. Amen. I am the way. The truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except how? Jesus. That's the way. You know what we got to do? Get so convinced of that truth that it burns in our soul like a fire. Amen. Be so convinced of that one truth that it sets our soul ablaze for a lifetime. How is it accomplished? Let, 
Let the God of heaven and earth touch your soul in a way that you've never been touched before. He'll never leave you the same. We need, we need it fresh every day. Every day. And you know what it will require of you? Going that way will require of you. Going that way requires of us a complete abandon of every thought and every will that pours out because of our flesh. Got to abandon it. And see, that's what we hounded on in Sea Drift. Uh, Matthew 7, you know, narrow is the way. But that's a peculiar passage for a revival service, right? You're trying to win the masses. No, it, it just, it's just not how it's written. It says narrow is the way. And why is the way so narrow? There's a number of answers. But one of the best ones is simple, simple as this. The way so narrow is because it requires us to abandon every thought and every will and every desire that burns in our flesh. Amen. That makes the way pretty narrow. Yeah. Are you willing to do it though? Yeah. Because that narrow way is worth it. Yeah. Yeah. That narrow way is worth it. Yeah. It's a way that I won't read it because we're going to close and we're going to sing and we're going to worship and we're going to give a chance for somebody to take a step. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, regardless of whether you need to be born again and say, I want to follow Jesus starting today, or you've been in the kingdom a hundred years and you need a fresh wave of convincing, a fresh wave of that I know so mentality. And it's because the way of the Lord is just the right way. In Psalms 18, we'll go there and read this and then we will just invite the presence of the Lord in this place as we sing and worship just to give people the opportunity to step. Just step. We can pray. We'll pray up here for the miraculous. We'll pray up here for salvation. We'll pray up here for whatever. There's a, there's a myriad of people chomping at the bit to see you rescued from whatever it is that plagues your life. But do you know why His way is perfect? Just, just humor me by going to one more scripture. Because we've been flipping. But y'all are used to flipping. Hey, Psalms 18. You can go there with me now. Hey, listen to this, guys. Hey, raise your hand if you've tried it your way. Let's just be honest. That's unanimous. Unanimous. And so... Just shout out an answer, yes or no. Has your way been found perfect? No. See, mine neither. I'm glad that was your answer. Because mine neither. But you know whose has? The way of the Lord. The way of the Lord in Psalms 18. Okay? And then I'm going to pray and let the Holy Ghost do what He wants to do. Whatever it is. Uh, Psalms 118, uh, Psalms 18 and verse number 30. We will begin. Psalms 18.30. As for God, you ready? His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield to all who take refuge in Him. For who is God but the Lord? 
That sounds like a convinced man. Can you say it? Who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God, the God who girds me with strength and makes my way blameless? He makes my feet like hind's feet. He sets me upon high places. He trains my hands for battle so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have also given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand upholds me and your gentleness makes me great. You enlarge my steps under me and my feet have not slipped. As for God, as for God, His way is perfect. And so when Thomas asked the question and Jesus says, I am the way, you know what he's saying? I am perfect. I'm perfect for you. You just got a step. Whatever season of life, you just got a step. 